0: I don't even have to wear
1: headphones for this one. This is great.
0: Yeah, that's another plus of being in studio. You don't have sweaty ears when you're done.
1: Yeah. Mm. Hate sweaty ears.
0: Sweaty ears for life. <laughs> Just happens. Don't shave. <laughs> Just to be clear, he's recording all of this. Mm, good, good. Good.
1: Thanks, Tom. I can leave
0: now, confidently knowing I have pre-roll. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed. I'm your host, Chris Toomey, and I'm joined today by Alex Sullivan, mobile developer here in our Boston office. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. I introduced you as a mobile developer, which is decidedly true. Often folks on our team will have a bit of a specialization, so Android being one of those, iOS, React Native. You have sort of branched out into all of the different worlds, Mm, and even some of the lesser-known ones that (laughs) we'll dig into. (laughs) sub-worlds. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, can you talk a little bit about your experience and your background and where you're coming from on the mobile world, and then I think we'll dig into some of those platforms in a little more specific. Yeah, sure.
0: So I've been doing mobile development for maybe the past five years or so. Honestly, every time I say the amount I've been doing it, it varies between like, it's been three years and it's been 15 years. The latter's definitely a lie. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> also I that think... complexity where the arrow of time keeps moving forward. Oh, so yeah, you have yeah. to keep updating the yeah, map. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, exactly. So I think maybe I've been saying five years for, <laughs> for a years. For a number of years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I've been a mobile developer for a while. Mm-hmm. I started off working on a voice over IP app for a English networking company based out of San Francisco, which is an interesting combination of locations. And that was just general debugging. I moved from there to a company called Runkeeper, where I worked on an app called Runkeeper, doing kind of both the Android stuff and the iOS stuff. Got more focused and specialized towards the Android end of things. Then did some freelancing, also mostly focused on the Android side of things, but with the occasional iOS work thrown in there. And then I've been kind of a little bit all over the place here at ThoughtBot. So it's been a ride.
1: So the all over the place is you're currently on an iOS project. You have done a good amount of Android. And have you done any actual React Native client projects?
0: Yeah. So I was on a React Native project for two weeks, okay. I believe. So really flexing my muscles there. Mm-hmm. So which is your favorite? Yeah. Good question. Uh, <laughs> to dig right so, into yeah, the heart of the thing. Yeah, Yeah. So my heart lies with Android. Mm-hmm. My soul... Is with the little green android. That's definitely where I'm at home. That's my (laughs) comfort zone. That's the place where I'm most confident. That's the place where I feel super confident in criticizing and being mean about the platform. Mm. You know, when you just fully know a platform, so you're like, these are all the terrible things about it. But I can say that because it's kind of my baby. Right, right. It's not mine at all. (laughs) (laughs) But you feel like you've gotten there. You've understood it enough that you're not mischaracterizing when you make. Yes, exactly. So definitely at home at Android, but I've been doing iOS development also for, again, like the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. It's been most of my personal projects have been in Android, and that's where I've, you know, that's where I post on subreddits and stuff like that. Let me put it that way. Right. Uh, (laughs) That's a good way to describe uh, going
1: steady with a platform. Yeah, exactly. That's
0: nice 1950s lingo. I like it. Thank you. But I've been doing iOS development kind of for the whole time I've been doing Android Mm -hmm. development, so this is probably a hard thing for you to do, but
1: I'd love to start with the two core platforms mm-hmm. of Android and iOS. And can you give like a brief characterization for someone who's a little bit outside of those worlds? Yeah. What would you describe as
0: like the strengths and mm-hmm. the, the relative weaknesses of the two? Of them? Yeah, definitely. So this probably won't surprise anybody. Android's very open. It's less open than it was in previous years, but mm-hmm. You can do lots of different stuff. You can root your Android phone. And as an app developer, you can interact with rooted Android phones. Yeah. That whole realm is open to you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pay $100 a year to develop apps for it. could oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's the Apple developer program? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little more egalitarian, let's say.
1: It feels like such a weird tax for mm. them to impose. Yeah. It's and also, like any
0: limitation... I wonder if it's a quality filter in their mind. I think it is. And I, yeah. think it, I think it actually ends up being a good idea. And nowadays, mm. if you want to put up an app on the Play Store, I think you need to pay a one-time fee of 25 bucks. Mm. So I think Google has also said, all right, well, let's try to find some way to limit the hordes and hordes of nonsensical, ridiculous apps that have come out. So Android kind of has the anything goes, it's the Wild West thing going for it. Which has its attraction. I'm sure someone who's intimately familiar in like the JavaScript world kind of understands the attraction. I was gonna that say, have, have you heard about the web? Yes, exactly. Nobody yeah. tells us what yeah, to do yeah. on the web. Yeah. Just a slightly similar situation on Android. On the iOS side of things, I would describe it as a fair bit more clamped down. Mm-hmm. However, I will say this Apple provides, in my opinion, a much better or at least a much more cohesive SDK. Everything in the Apple world fits together. You get the sense that you're using Legos to put things together and Mm -hmm. blocks are meant to go together. Whereas on the Android side of things, you do not get that sense. I actually heard somebody give a very interesting characterization of PHP that I think applies to Android development too, which is you want to go build something and you're given a toolbox. And you open up the toolbox and you want a hammer. But you can't find a hammer. All you can find is that hammer with the weird spiky bits (laughs) at the end. Then you say, like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I can use this. Like, I can bash a nail in with this. All right, so that works fine. And then you need Phillips head screwdriver, but you only have the the flathead one. Mm -hmm. But you can still do it, right? You know, you can kind of force it in there and then get in the nooks, and and you can make it go. And that is just, it's that all the way down. That's starting to change a little bit. So recently, meaning within the past year or two, the Android team has taken a more proactive approach to helping app developers with cohesive architectures. Mm -hmm. So they've started releasing new components. There's ViewModel, which is a a UI architecture component, and Room, which is a database solution, to try and say, okay, here's actually a philosophy for building an Android app. Mm. And that's stuff that the iOS world has kind of had from the beginning. Yeah, the idea that you're so like even in the the better case that you're describing of iOS, that you're
1: still so limited and you have to work from those pieces is just so antithetical to me of the essential wild, wild west of the web. But but it is interesting there the trade-offs that you have the ability to get on devices and to access functionality that you Mm -hmm. don't have access to. Although the web is catching up. There's weird things where like the accelerometer somehow is now accessible on the web. Yeah, it's really astounding
0: some of the stuff. um, And I'm now being asked for my location permission for every website I go to. (laughs) You're just a local news site. Please (laughs) stop asking me for my location. You it's know, weird. Yeah. No. You're local. I live here.
1: Well, I think a, a similar characterization, then, there are languages that are fundamental to the two platforms. Mm-hmm. And I think in both cases, they've sort of changed over the years. So historically, yeah. Android had Java. Yep. And then more recently, Kotlin has gained a lot of favor there. And then on the iOS side, there was Objective-C. Mm-hmm. And then that has been supplanted by the actual official Swift, mm-hmm. whereas Kotlin is an unofficial community. Actually, I've
0: probably reached the end of what I know. So <laughs> can you... Can you correct yeah. anything I said that yeah. was wrong there and I, I can pick it up from there. So, the Android team did officially adopt Kotlin. Okay. They didn't create Kotlin. Right. It's an interesting evolution where Apple was working on Swift for a long time and then and then kind of released it mm-hmm. and to a lot of fanfare and a lot of joy rightfully so. <laughs> and it kind of feels sometimes like Google looked around really quickly and was like, "Oh, Hey, look at that. Look at Kotlin. Mm-hmm. Everyone's using that already. All right. We'll say this is our answer to Swift. Right. So sort of like a very for the platform. conveniently placed language. But yeah, so everything has moved off from in the Android world from Java to Kotlin. There's really at this point no reason to start. Like creating a new file in Java is a very questionable thing to do nowadays. <laughs> you would look at a PR that's introducing a new Java file yeah. and be like, um. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not rare at all to have side-by-side like, code bases that mm-hmm. contain both, of course. And the interop between Kotlin and Java is quite excellent, really fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think that they kind of hit it out of the park there. Apple hit it out of the park with Swift and did not hit it out of the park with the interop. The yeah, interop back down to Objective-C? Objective-C, C. yeah. Gotcha. You go through all these bridging files, and, mm-hmm. and I have found it to be a very painful experience to interop between Objective-C and Swift. Interesting. But yeah, the languages have also, I think, started to go in different directions. So when Colin came out, there was a big question of why does this language exist? Mm-hmm. So the JVM world has a host of languages already. Obviously, Java's a giant one within there, but there's also Scala, and there were mm-hmm. people who used Scala to write Android apps. There were people at ThoughtBot who used Scala to write there Android apps. There were people apps. who hosted
1: this podcast at ThoughtBot. There <laughs> we <laughs> go. They used Scala to write yeah. Android
0: apps. Fantastic. So there was, a, I think, a, a bit of a, question of why Kotlin needs to exist Mm -hmm. when Scala exists. And I think the answer that they went with that makes a lot of sense is Scala is fantastic. I mean, we use it a lot at ThoughtBot and it's a beautiful language. It's a lot, right? Mm. There's a lot going on in Scala. There's a lot of ways to shoot yourself in the foot and it's intimidating. So Kotlin kind of moved forward as everyone knows that there's a lot of cruft in Java. Everyone knows that there's a lot of stuff that's tedious. There's a lot of boilerplate and a lot of stuff that Scala has that we wish we could use. Mm -hmm. But we want to do that without implicits and without the bonkers inline method style that Scala lets you do. Underscores <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Those underscores are interesting they in Scala. Are interesting. I will they say they that. mean yeah. so many things. They mean
1: all the things. And yeah. implicits, just to loop back to that, is a language feature for dependency injection and yeah. type classes and a whole host of features. But it's sort of the best and worst feature yeah. of Scala, exactly. is mostly what I hear about it. Yeah. But incredibly powerful. Yep. And very intimidating.
0: Yeah, very magical, too. And so Kotlin kind of stepped in there as, let's be a better Java. Let's be Java 2.0, but let's not get carried away the way we (laughs) feel like Scala may have. And I think Swift was positioned slightly different in that Objective-C, I think actually is a pretty great language. I enjoyed Hmm. it. I would... I have not heard that type <laughs> before. Yeah, yeah. People people really dislike Objective-C. I think it's something about the way the brackets work out. <laughs> they always line up perfectly. It's beautiful. So um, aesthetically,
1: you enjoy aesthetically, the language Objective-C. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, that's a reason.
0: Yeah. Definitely wasn't as strongly typed as one would hope. Mm. But I think there was an obvious need for a modern language there. Mm. Objective-C had some nice tidbits in there, but it, it was clear that this was like a competitor to... Was it a competitor to C++ when it came out? I think that's true. Yeah. So really a need for modernization kind of created Swift. And Apple has been going farther with Swift than I think JetBrains, who are the maintainers of Kotlin, have been going with Kotlin. So I think Kotlin really has that goal of not getting carried away. And I think that that's kind of reining them back a bit. So you're not getting type classes. You're definitely not getting implicits or Mm -hmm. any of the sort of the, the meaty stuff in the functional Scala world. And Swift has been opening it up a bit more. So you have more complex pattern matching in Swift. The enums are a bit more powerful than sealed classes in Kotlin. The type system has some interesting differences Mm -hmm. that I would argue make Swift's type system a bit more powerful than Kotlin's. There's... Built-in support for tuples and all that sort of stuff. So, Are there, there not support for tuples in Kotlin? There's support for pairs. There is a pair object, uh, but there is no support for arbitrary tuples. Uh, ah, yeah. gotcha. So I think that they're starting to go in different directions, and, right. and Swift is starting to kind of flex its muscles a bit. I'm not surprised by that because Apple obviously has uh, some power there,
1: some yeah. ability to, both in terms of just sheer headcount that they mm-hmm. can dedicate to it mm-hmm. as a project, but also the it fits more with their core business model as far as I see it. Mm. Like If they can build a better language that attracts more people to work on their platform, that gets more apps, et cetera, that, that's pretty clear. JetBrains, they make IntelliJ and other yep. IDEs, and it is a little less clear yeah. how investing more in Kotlin mm-hmm. leads back. Like The idea that they are the people behind Kotlin, and Kotlin yep. has seemingly been very well received by the world, but it's got to be hard for them to, put anywhere near the resources that that apple can into swift so i'm not surprised to hear that there's that sort of thing going on but yeah. um, i also wonder how much like the community involvement yeah. differs I, as mm-hmm. far as i can tell swift is largely developed internally mm-hmm. at apple and then open source is it open source at this point yeah swift is okay. open source at this point uh, but it's more of a like deliver decided yeah. things yeah. to open source and let people see the code rather yeah. than developed in the open yeah That's my understanding. Is Kotlin developed in the open? Yeah,
0: Kotlin is as open source as you can get. And another thing that's worth noting is I'm pretty sure at this point that Google is stepping in a -hmm. bit more with Kotlin and and helping contribute some of their push for it. Gotcha. Another thing that I think Apple is willing to do is to make constant breaking changes to the language. (laughs) So it's astounding. Whenever you look up an answer on Stack Overflow or something like that, you'll have four answers. Oh. This is the Objective-C answer, this is the Swift 2 answer, this is the Swift 3 answer, and this is the Swift 4 answer. You're, so within one Stack Overflow answer, they'll have yes. like the bolded head. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. It's interesting because in the Java world, there's such an emphasis on backwards compatibility and mm. making sure we don't break things. And they just threw that away. And that comes with a lot of niceties, right? So the, the language is always the best they can imagine it, yep. theoretically. But it also comes with all the information being outdated everywhere. So it's definitely a frustrating scenario to be like, I have this perfectly working answer. Ooh, Swift three answer, (laughs) not Swift four. (laughs) Don't have that problem. So close. (laughs) It is interesting though,
1: the parallels between the two languages because they share I would say a common foundation, oh, I'm saying this like I know anything. I have heard that they share a common foundation and strongly typed functional mm. leading into that, moving away from object-oriented mm. in either case. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, no. I think I would push back on that a little bit, at least from the Kotlin side, mm. in that Kotlin is still built to be an object-oriented language, right? It, okay. it really is Java's successor. It just also includes, like its standard library includes map and filter and flat map and stuff that we've come to associate with, right? functional paradigms i also have to admit that functional comes with so much baggage in my head now that it's like is this haskell is this you know crazy <laughs> you say functional what do you mean yeah man? and I, yeah. so i don't have a, a great answer for that but i would say that colin especially is is still very much an object-oriented mm-hmm. language which i don't like i think i framed the question mm-hmm. in a way that i was trying to treat those
1: as distinct things mm-hmm. but i don't think yeah. that they are like scala is yeah somewhat famously both an object oriented yeah. and a strongly functional language mm-hmm. and even ruby to a certain extent like definitely got the object oriented going mm-hmm. on but it has innumerable which is a library or a module within it that allows for map and filter and select mm-hmm. and, and yeah. all of those and Not quite the same support for first-class functions, which Mm -hmm. I think is a differentiator for Ruby and makes it a little harder to work in that modality or a little harder to work in that paradigm. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting seeing the strong type system. I'm trying to think of a language right now that's in the forefront that doesn't have that going on. Ruby, obviously, but that's, you know, historically, but new languages, Mm -hmm. like thinking of Kotlin, Swift, TypeScript, Elm. Mm -hmm. Closure is the one that comes to mind, but I think Clojure also has a long history.
0: Yeah, People I know nothing like about Clojure. <laughs> There's a lot of parentheses. Yeah, that's the, that's the sense I've got.
1: As far as I know, it's a Lisp that targets the mm-hmm. JVM, yep. and then it has a Clojure script, mm-hmm. which has the same sort of idea of compile-to-JavaScript mm-hmm. um, going on. You can probably write Clojure to target android i'm guessing oh yeah based on like jvm so people write python to target android oh we do a lot of things as programmers yeah we were so caught up in whether or not we should (laughs) we didn't stop no wait i got that backwards we're so caught up in whether or not we could we didn't stop to think if we should classic examples oh yeah how do you like the languages like if you had to Mm -hmm. if you were picking on a day-to-day basis disregarding the platform constraints Mm -hmm. yeah what do you think of the two languages
0: yeah so they're both fantastic languages my heart really rests with kotlin but that also may be because i'm intimately familiar with it mm-hmm. i use swift every day now but uh, i am firmly aware of kotlin's abilities so i've found and again this comes from the perspective of somebody who's been doing a lot of java development i have found kotlin to be a very intuitive language extremely easy to pick up so i would Say, any Java developer or anyone familiar with JavaScript, anything along those lines, like within that realm of C you know, syntax, mm-hmm. can pick up Kotlin very quickly. It just feels well-designed. It feels familiar. It feels clear what it can and can't do. As soon as you get over like type erasure in the JVM world, then it, everything just fits. Can you describe what that is? Yeah, it just means that if you have generic types those generic types disappear at runtime. So if I have some function that takes in an object of type T, I can't query the type of T in the function because that T is gone. And mm-hmm. You just get a real object in instead. There are very specific cases where generic types become slightly more difficult to deal with because you can't do that runtime checking on the generic type itself. Mm-hmm. Swift has reified types, which gets around that, which is very nice. But I feel like Kotlin makes a lot of sense and makes a lot of pragmatic decisions. I would characterize Swift as being more powerful. Like I mentioned before, it's enums and switch statements are closer to Scala's in that they're, they're kind of just more powerful. You can match off the shape of objects and you can mm-hmm. kind and of the switch that you're
1: talking about there, I'm guessing that's more of a pattern matching level yes. than
0: like JavaScript switch yes. statement, which yeah, has its stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's exactly. a much more powerful construct that you're yes. describing. Yeah. And that's fantastic. It really lets you pull apart your structs and all that sort of stuff very nicely. There's little things that keep coming up to to bite me in Swift that I would not expect. You don't have interfaces in Swift. You have things called protocols, which you can, I'm sure somebody will be upset about this, but you can describe as an interface. And in Java or most other typed languages, you can provide a generic type for that interface. Mm-hmm. So I could have... Interface list with generic type T, Mm -hmm. which just means anything can go into a list. In Swift, you don't have a type T on your protocol. You have an associated type with it, Mm -hmm. which roughly maps out to the way you do generics in Swift protocols. But one side effect of that approach is that if I have some class, I can't just declare a variable that is of type my protocol Mm -hmm. T. whatever it can only be used as a constraint later on when you're declaring functions or classes which is something that really hit me in the face right out of right field just did not expect that and there have been a lot of little things like that that i've found coming up with swift where i go through some mechanism that feels wonderful the optional chaining swift has is very nice and then i'll get hit by some other edge like that that makes me think oh man that's not friendly. That's not the way I'd imagine this to work. And usually I like it when things work the way I imagine mm. that they would work. That's weird. Yeah, right? No, it's that's strange. super normal. That's a very normal thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that all makes sense and I followed almost all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Type systems become one of those things where yeah. it's very easy to get lost in like Scala is, particularly. Yeah. I occasionally will look at Scala code with generics and covariance and contravariance and I'm just like, no, no, I'm gonna go back over here for a little while. Um, But I do, I love the power of Mm. strongly typed languages and having a compiler and getting that feedback and I'm actually interested in what the development workflow feels like because I'm working on a TypeScript app right now And having the TypeScript compiler running in a side window and giving me that feedback and working against that and only checking in the browser after multiple Mm -hmm. minutes of iteration with the compiler as my only feedback is so much better of an experience Mm. because that loop to go all the way out to the browser to render the full JavaScript file, get into the browser, parse it, compile Mm. it, click around as necessary to get to the point of execution it's just a lot longer and, yeah. and more indirect. So I wonder how would you characterize the, the development experience across the the two platforms and how well do they take advantage
0: of the functional type system stuff going on? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think to get into that question, you need to also take a look at what environment mm. you use for both of them. You mean you're not just writing in Vim? Nope, not just writing in Vim. Huh. No, sometimes, sometimes I wish. One time so, I made you one afternoon, but mm, otherwise. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So on the Android side, you use Android Studio, which mm-hmm. is an offshoot of IntelliJ. Basically, it just comes with a few extra bells and whistles, but it's the same core experience. And on the iOS side, obviously, you use Xcode. Mm-hmm. So my experience with developing Android apps and Java apps and Java programs in general is that I don't go through the compile step. There's, there's one step earlier, right, which is my IDE gives me a big old red underline, mm-hmm. and that's my feedback if something will run or not.
1: And so that feedback that red underline is coming from the editor
0: yeah. the IDE running a compiler in the background yeah, for you exactly. and then providing that feedback yeah, yeah yeah that's the dream yeah yeah it's wonderful and in Android Studio that's that's my flow so if something fails to build that's very surprising that is not a a flow that I expect mm-hmm. to be in when I'm developing android apps in iOS land, the situation is a bit different. Mm. I will will come out and say it. I have no love for Xcode. <laughs> I find it to be frustrating experience to write Swift in Xcode. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons being, I depend on that feedback so deeply from the IDE. And anyone who uses IntelliJ a lot can also attest to how great the look ahead completion is and all that sort of jazz. And I've really I didn't realize it before I I moved off of it, but I have really come to depend on that. (laughs) I don't actually know how to do this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't know know what any method name is anymore. Mm -hmm. All I know is the first three letters and then a tab. (laughs) (laughs) So on the Xcode side of things, I'd say it takes two to five seconds for the IDE to tell you, hey, this doesn't match. Hmm. So in the Xcode world, I'm finding myself much more often building the app to see if it actually builds, which is frustrating because it's a much longer turnaround. And there's also a lot of times where there will be some mistake or I'll be in the middle of typing something and I stop for long enough that the IDE picks it up and and gives me some error and never gets rid of it. So I'll change the code and it'll just sit on that same error and you need to run the app to clear that. (laughs) Yeah. So the development experience... On the Android side, at least in terms of writing the actual code, Mm -hmm. I find to be quite pleasant and I find it to be fairly painful on the iOS side. Mm, That's What's interesting is that there is, so JetBrains offers a competitor to Xcode called AppCode, which you can use, which I immediately downloaded after day (laughs) two. And theirs is no quicker than Xcode. So it's the same amount of time to get feedback on your Swift code. So I'm wondering if it's just the Swift compiler. It's
1: just slow my understanding of how most of these systems work these days is they're spinning up a compiler in the background and they're watching as files Mm -hmm. change but they're maintaining a cached representation Mm -hmm. of the majority of files when you Mm -hmm. when you write one file and say this one has now changed it only needs to recompile for that and can do like that should be a sub second operation in almost all cases and i'm surprised if swift is not doing that or if they've taken a different approach or like i can't imagine that they're spinning up the compiler anew each time yeah that can't be but maybe i don't don't know
0: yeah yeah it's a good question i haven't done a Mm. lot of research into why is this so slow yeah but that would be a good thing to dive into to try to figure out what is it that makes this take so long yeah as
1: an aside i'm so excited about the developments that are happening in that world of compilers and feedback Mm. and ide-like behavior Mm -hmm. so the whole language server protocol which VS Code coming from Microsoft introduced. And then TypeScript was the first client or Mm -hmm. the first server, the language that implemented it. But that same idea of, I'll be honest, I don't love IDEs. Mm -hmm. I find them very heavyweight. And there's also just a lot of visual cruft. Someone Mm -hmm. said this, uh, Gary Bernhardt, said this on Twitter the other day. And it rang so true with me that I was surprised I haven't said it more aloud. But it's there's so much stuff on the screen. How do you not get so distracted? That's one of the things I like about Vim is I'm just looking at the code. And there's the little bit of extra information of squiggles or something Mm. pointing at the line or something like that. But it's only that information and everything else is hidden. And absolutely, the first time you open Vim, it's the worst (laughs) and you don't know how to quit. Although... (laughs) I was working on a server for a client the other day, and it's a remote environment that I don't own, and someone had configured the shell to be Emacs. Mm.
0: So I accidentally
1: was trying to edit something, or I was doing like a git commit or something that spawned the dollar editor, Mm -hmm. and it was Emacs, and I was like, oh my god, I don't know how to quit. (laughs) Now I get how everyone, when everyone says that about Vim, now I know. I eventually learned how to quit. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) First step in mastering any uh, command line based editor is learning how to quit it. But that whole idea of not needing a full IDE, but having naming the features that make like type ahead completion, Mm -hmm. uh, auto formatting is one that I'm seeing introduced. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I love that. Yeah, Yeah. I definitely want that. And jump to definition, Mm -hmm. compiler errors, warnings, linting, all of that, Mm -hmm. and integrating that into a separated process. But then like, sure, Vim works or Emacs or IntelliJ or... I don't like if my editor knows too much about a language. A lot of mm. IDEs have features around refactoring. Mm-hmm. It's like I, as an editor, am very smart about Kotlin code, and mm. I know how to perform this refactoring. It's like, that's not what my editor's job is. My editor's job is to interact with keystrokes that I send to it mm. and update a text buffer, mm. and then ideally externalize the more oh, language-specific yeah. Yeah.
0: functionality. I definitely agree. It'll be a beautiful day where I can fluently build Android apps or iOS apps just using Vim. That would be very cool.
1: That is the dream. But even TypeScript, which is the one that should be the furthest along in this, it is still a struggle. I've been trying to get Vim TypeScript with completion and jump to definition. And it seems like actually a pretty well-defined problem. And Mm -hmm. the server implementation exists because that's what VS Code uses. But the client side, the thing that is running in Vim to interact with that server just... Nobody can get it right, yeah. uh, or at least yet. I know that this, this is a solvable problem, and yep. I expect that they will solve it. I just want that now, yeah yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, it's worth recognizing too that I mean the people behind IntelliJ have been building IntelliJ for yes i don't, I don't know how long fifteen years or ten yep. years, however long it is, so it makes sense that that it's going to take a hot minute for yeah the it turns world out it's one of up. those really hard problems yeah. to yeah. do
1: that performantly to like do syntax highlighting on a file that may be yeah. ten thousand lines long, yeah. How do you even, I I actually don't know the algorithms and the data structures. And it's one of those things that I have on a list of like, man, if I had like a weird weekend where I was (laughs) in a cabin in the woods, but still had internet, (laughs) maybe I'd build a text editor and learn about that. I don't think that's going to happen anytime (laughs) soon. though. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by CircleCI, the continuous integration and delivery service used by companies like Twilio, Intuit, WeWork, and Tinder, as well as us here at ThoughtBot. CI and CD are so important for keeping teams building, it's all CircleCI does. They focus on creating powerful, flexible CI-CD pipelines so that you and your team can focus on doing what you do best. Whether you're a company of five or 500, CircleCI can build, test, and deploy your Linux and macOS projects from GitHub and Bitbucket in their cloud or installed on your servers. And anyone can sign up and start building for free since CircleCI gives both private and public projects a thousand free build minutes per month. Sign up and start building for free at circleci.com slash bike shed. Thank you to CircleCI for supporting this episode of The Bike Shed. But anyway, to come back to some more topical things, mm-hmm. um, we talked a bunch about the languages, the platforms, mm-hmm. the developer experience, but all of Android and iOS directly. Yes. But we hinted at a secret mm-hmm. third option, mm-hmm. which is React Native. So you have poked around a little bit with it. I'm intrigued by your thoughts, where you think it fits, where you think it doesn't fit, perhaps mm-hmm. even more interestingly. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about React Native?
0: Yeah, so I'm still developing my thoughts on React Native. Mm -hmm. It's an area that I want to improve my expertise on, so I'm still to some degree in the stage where you're battling a new environment, Mm -hmm. and when you're you have that sense of, like, oh, I could fly through this in a native Android app, but I'm you know, i being forced to kind of work around my limited knowledge in the yep. platform. So I'll, I'll put that out there as a disclaimer <laughs> just so I don't have to make strong statements. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, make them, you're free to make them now. Mm, good, and yeah, you've exactly. disclaimed them earlier. Yeah, exactly. So now please now continue. Now you can just make forcefully
1: false <laughs> statements, and I've got that in front of them. The thing about the internet is the best way to oh, get yeah. the correct answer is mm. to put
0: the wrong one out there. So... Exactly. That's a good point to learning experience. Yeah, so my thoughts right now are there's a ton that's awesome about React Native, right? Cross-platform is good. React Native is not the first, and it won't be the last contentious statement. (laughs) I think it's fantastic that it's opened up the world of mobile development to traditionally web developers. You know, they've been such different environments that have practically resulted in people being siloed off in one Mm -hmm. land or the other that it's awesome seeing a thing bridge that gap. I really like React, I don't have any <laughs> experience with Angular or any of the competitors mm-hmm. in the web space, but my interactions with React are very positive. I love reactive development in general. I use it all the time in iOS and Android, so thumbs up on that. I would be careful conflating those. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I think they I chose the name a little yeah. questionably. Mm, and sure. So like when you say reactive there, mm. I think you're talking about RxJS or RxJava, that yeah. type of reactivity? Or, or just I guess I interpret reactive programming as meaning stuff goes in circles, mm. kind of, which could be an incorrect definition. I don't know the the actual like core definition.
1: I, I think it is a term of art. I think it has some meaning, mm-hmm. and I think it's not specifically the thing that React is, but mm. as you say, well, I think of it as uh, things going in circles, <laughs> like inputs becoming the yeah. outputs of one thing, becoming the inputs to another, mm-hmm. and then data flows and loops back up, and yeah. that's probably close to the right thing, but <laughs> I know... Historically, when React came out, there was a bunch of like, oh, wait, wait, wait we already used that word for a mm, thing. And that's not oh, what this, yeah, like, yeah. reactive comp has nothing to do with React. Uh, yep. But I, <laughs> I think actually the way you just said it, that your mindset of what that mm-hmm. means is in the right place. And React definitely does have that yeah, sort of yeah. data it utilizes flow and, that bit. Yeah.
0: I mean, I guess I would call the whole set state re-render widget tree ooh, widgetry. I just showed Um, my (laughs) loyalties. Um, It's fine. You disclaimer. You're good. I disclaimer. (laughs) render the stuff. I would consider that a reactive flow. Yeah. Right. But yeah, so kind of getting more into the weeds a little bit, people praise React Native partially as a great cross-platform development tool. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth recognizing that there were other ones in the past and they weren't just web views, which I think a lot of people go to. They think Mm -hmm. of, like PhoneGap or Mm -hmm. or Ionic maybe, old Ionic maybe. And there were tools like Xamarin, which was kind of the de facto solution for a long time that I think has plummeted since React Native came out. (laughs) And what was Xamarin? Xamarin was a cross-platform mobile environment written in C Sharp to build mobile apps. And I think that my understanding, I haven't actually written any Xamarin code, was that... You would write your UI for Android, and you'd write your UI for iOS, and then you'd have a common backing model. So the logic would be the same, but you Mm. might still write two different UIs. I think there were, I think Xamarin Forms was a thing that allowed you to write a single UI for both Mm -hmm. of them, but it was considered kind of a hacky sort of thing that you might not want to use. So I think it's good to kind of inspect where React Native has succeeded, and Xamarin may have not succeeded as Mm. much. And so one of the things I think React Native does and does pretty well is it provides an additional abstraction on top of the classic native stuff. So whereas Xamarin might have said, hey, this is great. You can create an iOS table view in C Sharp, and you can create an Android recycler view in C Sharp. React Native says, oh, well, you have a flat list, right. which is a singular thing across everybody. Yep. And they really put the effort into making sure that it worked reasonably well on both <laughs> platforms a classically hard problem but yes i
1: see what you're saying of there are react native things that map perhaps to different implementations on the two target platforms but provide that common interface so i as a react native developer get to focus
0: on that one interface yeah. that i have to work with yeah and the one concept too yeah. the one concept of a list instead of worrying about oh well which sections am i using in my ui table view versus you know what does my view holder look like on the Android side? So mm. I think is that a I, thing? A view holder? Sure is. Holds views. <laughs> <laughs> the whole history there. Well, naming things <laughs> is—I don't know. I guess it holds views. It does. What it, it does do. hold cool. views. It's a good yeah. name. So I think that's very interesting. Some of the places where I struggle with React Native is I have no love for JavaScript. Mm. If I knew it a lot better, I may have love for JavaScript. I don't know that many people that have that much love for JavaScript. Particularly if you're coming
1: from a place of a bit more certainty in languages mm. like Kotlin and Swift and Scala, raw JavaScript mm. down to the metal, if you mm. will, is going to be a rough experience. Mm-hmm. The nature of equality and implicit conversions mm. and things like that, just so many subtle, yeah. confusing bugs pop mm. up. That said, the language has evolved immensely. Mm-hmm. And then TypeScript as a layer on mm-hmm. top of that, I think, are really providing a meaningful stepwise change in what it means to yeah. write JavaScript. Yeah. And TypeScript also has gained even just this year, mm-hmm. it's amazing how much of a stronghold it's taken as opposed to last year when there were just tons of these different things. And flow mm-hmm. is a strong contender, mm-hmm. which I think is less and less true over time. But yeah, that said javascript yeah. uh, it's complicated.
0: <laughs> it's a complicated language with a complicated mm-hmm. history. And yeah. Yeah, and I I definitely agree I think TypeScript makes things a lot better. Mm-hmm. So just that that kind of struggle interacting with that environment as well. So not just necessarily the language, but kind of the environment that I've found that language brings in. So I've noticed a much bigger flow of being very library happy for React Native apps. So I've noticed there seems to be a path of I have a complex UI bit. I'm going to search for a library that builds this UI bit which is very foreign to me from a Android perspective. It's slightly less foreign from an iOS perspective, but I have a very strong sense of like I definitely use libraries. I use tons of libraries, of course, <laughs> not a purist there. <laughs> but it, it's a consideration every time. It's like, do we need to bring this in? Like let's let's talk about it. I think that's
1: definitely the JavaScript mm-hmm. community and ecosystem leaking then into the mobile space via mm-hmm. React Native because a React hello world app has 1,000 packages or something like that, it is amazing how deep and wide the dependency tree Mm -hmm. is for even very straightforward apps. And that that then, I think, maps directly into the experience on React Native. So Mm -hmm. I can see why you would say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that kind of filtered over into, I had an experience where for one of those two weeks that I was working on a React Native project here at Thoughtbot, I had to upgrade the version or update the version of React Native that we were using, which stopped working with half of the libraries that we were using. And half of that half had pull requests open that would fix against that. And the accepted answers seemed to be target those pull requests Mm. instead of the latest released version of that library, which is like a a very new concept for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, that obviously happens. (laughs) But I uh, I don't want to characterize the – I don't think you want to
0: characterize the community hmm. that way either. Because no, yeah, yeah, not – nobody wants to be doing oh, that. Oh, yeah. Of course not. Of course not. Um, but I, that it happens. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't think that it's a – I'm not trying to say in any way whatsoever that, like, the JavaScript community is, like, those damn kids or anything <laughs> like that. Um, definitely not. I think that it's a result of just what the cross-platform tools are trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think that it is hard Yes. And that you're trying to solve problems that have very divergent solutions. So naturally, either you become an expert in all three, which is quite rare, or you reach out for libraries to handle any tidbits that interact with the native side of things. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think naturally you will have a lot of libraries because unless somebody knows about everything all the way down to the metal, then you, you're kind of forced to. Mm-hmm. And especially with the speed with which React Native is changing and just mobile changes in general, I think it's a challenging problem to keep everything up to date.
1: Yes, incredibly Um, challenging.
0: Yeah, I will say the the standout for me when
1: looking at React Native is the new accessibility of mobile as a space that Mm -hmm. I can work in Mm -hmm. as a web developer that I could not like. I had actively chosen to not dig into Android Mm -hmm. and iOS because I felt that that was enough of a departure that I didn't want to make that jump. But I know React, Mm -hmm. I really like React, and Mm -hmm. it's not like oh, it's React, but it's it's different because like it is not still React, same sort of thing. thing. Yeah, and so not only the framework but also then the paradigm around how we build user interfaces in that reactive loop Mm -hmm. and set state and this Mm -hmm. is how we manage things and you and I were playing around on a Friday with an app that uses Apollo and GraphQL and consuming data from a GraphQL endpoint and it was basically identically the same as to what I would do on mm-hmm. the web. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yeah. I know how to make these apps, yeah. I can do this and I can build it for now any of those core platforms. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful in yeah. my mind. But it is interesting because historically, even at ThoughtBot, we, technically they are different departments, web mm-hmm. and mobile. Mm-hmm. So our developer team is sort of split along that line. And I've never liked that mm-hmm. distinction. Mm-hmm. Like designer and developer being different in my mind, at least from my experiences, certainly makes sense. I have less capability and less just fundamental skill set in the area of design. Mm -hmm. What are colors? (laughs) Colors and typography and layout and just all of those Mm -hmm. aspects are things that are so much more foreign to me. But mobile, Mm -hmm. from a development standpoint, it's just a different type of development. But like, you're still doing programming. Mm-hmm. We're sure. it's both programming, <laughs> yeah, uh, and design at Thoughtbot is also programming and coding. But the world of mobile seemed both simultaneously accessible and removed. Yeah, and so I, I do like the way that React Native can bridge things. And I think yeah, for definitely. certain applications, we at Thoughtbot have found React Native to be incredibly yes. yeah. effective yeah. at getting a real product that has a truly native feel, mm-hmm. because it is native in most of the sure. ways. Yeah. It feels native to an end user, and that's what matters. We can build that product that much more quickly. Yeah, But I think there are places where it sort of hits a wall. Yeah. And so do you have a sense of where that wall is? Yeah. yeah.
0: I think whenever you're dealing with stuff that's a little bit closer to the metal or you really need to squeeze out performance, mm-hmm. so if you're looking for a, a very animation-heavy or with a very custom UI... I would be hesitant to reach for React Native, mm-hmm. especially on the Android side of things. The performance isn't quite there yet, so you're, if you're pushing the limits of the phone's performance, then you're going to want to go with the thing that lets you get closest to those limits, mm-hmm. and React Native has an additional burden. When you're interacting with stuff like the camera and all that sort of jazz, it's a very complicated flow. On the Again, this is on the Android side of things on the native layer and you're going to abstract over a lot of that already when you're going to react native so if you're if you were doing something like image processing like you had a camera and you wanted to do complex filters and stuff mm-hmm. like that then it, that's probably not the right don't build instagram and react yeah. native yeah yeah though they use was yeah. wasn't well, that the like starting point for it <laughs> yeah to be clear though specific pages within the instagram yeah. app so oh, like, that's a good point yeah hmm. i think there was kind of a a myth going around for a while that Instagram was just written in React Native uh, and I, they have written a lot of stuff in Instagram in React Native yeah. but some of the examples I saw were like changing notification preferences mm-hmm. stuff like that you know mm. stuff that's kind of a big list with a bunch of clickable cells in it and that sort yeah. of stuff I think that they've expanded a bit past that but I'm just pumped the brakes on that a little bit <laughs> um, honesty and reporting that's yes, what matters yes yeah and then I think it also depends on if you have an existing application So I know Airbnb tried to incorporate or did incorporate React Native and put in a huge amount of effort Mm -hmm. into incorporating it, utilizing it, and trying to make it the best it could be. And they, I think, ultimately ran into enough limits. They ended up forking the version of React Native and just had to carry their own version forward. Sounds brutal. And they have actually moved off it entirely at this point.
1: Or I don't know that they've actually done that, but they've made the decision.
0: Yeah. So I think... It becomes a little bit more challenging too when you already have an existing product integrating React Native into mm-hmm. it. It's definitely clearly doable, but I think that's a little tougher. But if you're building your kind of garden variety app with lots of lists backed by a server that serves up a bunch of list items that you're going to save and all that sort of jazz, I think it's a great option. Mm-hmm. And so many apps, I think, do fall into that oh, yeah, category. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, yeah. It's a super valuable format. That's why so many apps do it. Crud rules everything around me. Yes, it does. <laughs> So I think that's when you see it really, really, really shine. Yeah. Because it's just so much faster. I would even argue that building a React Native app, even if you're targeting one platform, Mm. is often faster than just building for that platform.
1: I think we have that going on right now with a client app.
0: I believe. Discord uses React Native to build their iOS app, Mm -hmm. and it's a native Android app.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is... I believe deeply in the dream of React Native. Mm-hmm. Or I guess Tori, who works in our marketing department, I remember one day at lunch, she heard someone talking about a language and she was like, Wait, did I? You said a name. Is that different than this? And mm-hmm. talking about a, a given language. Someone's like, Oh, no, it's a different programming language. Mm-hmm. And she very emphatically was just like, why do you have so many languages? <laughs> That's a great question. And I'm going to be honest. I kind of agree. And why do yeah. we have so many paradigms? And yeah, It's because people, I'm pretty sure. I yes. don't think it's a real thing. No. It's, it's <laughs> not like we're discovering them. Like we discovered math no. and there's a bunch <laughs> of different types of math. It's nothing like that. We made these and we no. made this mess. Oh, yeah. But I believe in the idea of like we're building user interfaces. That I think is a constrained enough thing that I would love if there were one language tool chain modality that i could just use i can build web user interfaces with that i can build desktop apps with that i can build mobile apps and there will be specializations on each of those Mm -hmm. platforms but i as a user interface developer can do that Mm -hmm. maybe then if you go to the back end and you want to be doing like heavy data pipeline things Mm -hmm. maybe that becomes a different at least framework or language or whatever but Mm -hmm. so for that reason i'm long run very much an optimist on react native Mm -hmm. But I'm a little bit cautious in like, I will tend to lean towards it if we've got a client that seems to fit comfortably into that box. Mm-hmm. But it's a great idea that maybe isn't fully mature yet, yep. feels true, yeah. but I, I think they're also doing a lot of great work on oh, it yeah. and I see it moving mm-hmm. in the right direction, so. Yeah, definitely. So, we'll have to check back in in a year. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I do want to touch on the secret fourth mm, option mm, in the mix. Number four. Which is Flutter. Yeah. Which uses Dart. Fluttery. Which is a whole nother programming yeah. language. It's just another, get another one another out one there. In there. We didn't have enough. Yeah. Uh,
0: what is Flutter? Yeah. So, Flutter is a cross platform development kit being pushed by Google being pushed by or like it there is a part of google that is pushing it the flutter team is pushing it <laughs> well they are a
1: team within google yes. though, right as opposed yeah. to like kotlin was made by outside JetBrains. but then okay, yeah, yeah i just yeah. wanted to make yeah. sure i was understanding yes. yeah. flutter is
0: made by googlers okay yeah so it uses dart like you said mm-hmm. which is a language that everyone forgot existed mm. until flutter started yeah. making some i really waves. thought they had stopped doing yeah, it I did too. and then I flutter didn't... came out i was like what wow they're doing it. it's interesting i have done some flutter development and Dart was a similar language where I started using it and it you know it. Like you mm. know it already. Ooh. You've never used Dart, mm. I assume. I don't know. That. I have not used Dart. But you know it. But I know it. You know it. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, it's very Java-esque with a lot of the goods and the bads that that means. It's not mm. as modern of a language as I would like. You know, you can't do all the stuff that you do in TypeScript or in in Swift or Kotlin. But it's also not quite as crufty as Java is. Say it's somewhere in the middle.
1: Okay. Does it target the JVM at all? I think initially it was meant to so. compile to JavaScript,
0: yeah. and it does still still do that. I think they
1: still do that. Yeah, <laughs> It'd be like weird so. thing to take I'll away assume. since yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. reason for existing yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. But uh, although I think the intention was for there to be a Dart specific VM yeah. within yeah. the browser, mm-hmm. so that makes me think then that Dart would not target the JVM at all. Yeah, I don't
0: I don't believe that it does. And okay. I'm uh, ninety three confident that on the that. Android side of things, it's not touching the Java part. It's doing a similar bridging yeah. to a JavaScript runtime. No, so actually it's not doing that bridging. And that's kind of part of the like, ooh. Oh, yeah, a new way to do these sort of things. What's it doing? So Flutter ships with like a C layer that basically replaces all of the native widgets. So Flutter doesn't use any of the native stuff under the hood it's not using the table views and the recycler views and the ui views that all mobile developers have come to know and love it started from scratch for those of you in the audience who can't see how high my eyebrows are (laughs) they're so high this (laughs) sounds like a thing that we're not supposed to do Mm, yeah yeah but
1: please continue how'd that work out
0: in the end yeah so that was my initial reaction too was like oh oh good luck Oh, but, you implemented
1: your own yeah, UI yeah. library. Okay.
0: I mean, so they've basically treated it like a game engine. Okay. So you can think of it as a uh, competitor to, I don't know what game engines exist. Unity. Unity. Yeah, Unity. It's the only so the one that, now, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And from my usage of it and what I've seen in the community, it's going quite well. Though when I last left off, it was before Flutter 1.0 had shipped. And my biggest issue with it was it didn't have support for maps yet. So, like, click around in maps and highlight areas, draggable and all that sort of stuff. And that's not to say that every app needs a map. But if something doesn't provide maps, then it's probably not there yet. I feel like every app we've done yeah, had a map and to it, turns out. It's just such a common interaction yes, point on mobile. Exactly, yeah. That it's a weird thing to not have. Yeah. It also highlighted a specific issue with Flutter's ideology, which is you are not going to remake the map views that Apple and Google provides. And there are some third-party providers. But it's just going to be such a massive undertaking. And you're going to duplicate so much. But they have since solved that issue. You can now use Maps in Flutter. And they actually had a really cool example app where you had like a little Android picking up a phone and kind of shaking it. And there was a map within it. And Mm -hmm. you could... That sort of like smooth interaction with a map is very foreign to me (laughs) as a native developer. (laughs) Because they tend to be very special types of views that kind of like yep. break away from all the existing UI logic and is like, actually, actually, we're just going to draw everything in our yep. own weird way. Kind of pulling some tiles yeah, from places. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's always tiles. So that's kind of the thing with Flutter is that it doesn't need the bridge. It just has that C layer that draws directly to the canvas and then the canvas being like a view yeah. a view canvas not in terms yeah. of web technology
1: canvas not yeah, yeah, a javascript yeah, yeah, canvas yeah, 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 okay
0: yeah. i actually don't know the specifics under that hood it's drawing <laughs> pixels it's and drawing then interacting pixels. touches yes. and interactions yeah. and mapping those it's yeah.
1: building the entirety of that's yes. just <laughs> i can't imagine doing that mm, yeah. that's so grand of an yeah, aspiration
0: yeah. i mean the people who could try to do it are facebook or Google yep. or Apple. Really? Yep. And so the Dart compiles directly down into a layer that can communicate with that C layer. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no bridge. So that's part of the promise is that Flutter will be faster than React Native. But there probably is an overhead in terms of each app needs to bundle that runtime. Yes. Yeah. So size-wise, they're mm-hmm. a fair bit bigger than a native app. I don't know how much bigger they are than a React native app. Probably. It's that's one bigger, that they're probably
1: comparable, you know? whereas compared to an iOS native or Android native, yes. you're going to see significantly
0: smaller yes. sizes. Yeah. I've done some like very minimal speed comparisons, and it has... Flutter has appeared to be a fair bit faster and mm-hmm. less memory intensive.
1: And You wrote a blog post about that. I did, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Okay,
0: so we will link to that in the show yeah, notes. Nice.
1: Yeah, let's sync this
0: whole thing up. Ooh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> It really comes together end to end. <laughs> it's the rug; it brings the room together. Mm, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's definitely going to be an interesting thing to watch. It has a similar development paradigm to React. It's clearly heavily, heavily inspired. So you set state, and then it rebuilds a widget tree. Mm. Mm. Is it a virtual widget tree? I guess, yes. (laughs) There's no DOM, I think so. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So maybe,
1: maybe. I would expect you to be more cautious in your optimism about Dart and Flutter, and you seem mm. to be like, no, it's really cool,
0: yeah, well, uh, which so, sort of caught me off guard mm, when yeah. we were first talking about yeah. it. Part of the reason for that is because I still view it as in that, ooh, this is a fun technology, right. rather than I am not at a point where I would recommend that we build mm. client apps in Flutter. And I think there's a lot of space for optimism and excitement when you're not in production code mode. Yes. One of my biggest fears on React Native is that we'll end up with less performant apps. Mm. That's been a theme throughout all of my mobile development careers, how to make an app fast, snappy, not be laggy. And React Native, while doing fantastic work in other spots, steps back a little bit from that. Mm-hmm. And it, it has to do yeah. more work yes. fundamentally. Yeah. So. Exactly. And they've done amazing stuff to make it as fast as it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas Flutter, I think, has less of a limitation there. Theoretically, it could be faster than the native app. So what a dream yeah what a dream indeed yeah cautious yeah, right optimism is where yes. we're at
1: but uh continue to reevaluate on a monthly yes, or something basis exactly and, yeah well alex thank you so much for for joining us and for taking me on a tour of what i would say is probably the entirety of the mobile landscape yeah thanks for having me yeah it was a lot of fun show notes for this episode can be found at bike if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the others you can leave us a rating or review on itunes or share it on twitter and if you have any feedback for this or any of the other episodes, you can reach us at, at underscore Bikeshed, or you can reach me at Chris Toomey on Twitter, or you can email us at hosts at Bikeshed.fm. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your
0: idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.